Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 7 The dangerous gleam in Og's eyes stuck in Baz's mind, even after he turned and led Baz down the hall. What was this place? Who were these people? The hallway was unlit and dank, droplets of water splatting down on Baz's head. One found its way down the back of his shirt, causing him to shudder. The passage went on for quite a while before finally opening onto a large, circular chamber that was much nicer than the hall leading up to it had suggested it might be. The room was lit by several mirrored stand lamps, expensive ones by the look of their gleaming metal, even if a bit dated. The glow they emitted showed lavishly appointed pieces of furniture throughout the space. A chase here, a few armchairs there, a long bench with velvet cushioning against a wall. Around the room's perimeter were a number of archways like the one through which Baz had just passed, nine in total, counting the one Baz had come through. At the room's center was a long, mahogany table. At one time, its entire surface had been polished to a mirror shine, though now much of the gloss had been worn away around the edges by years of rubbing elbows. At the table's center, painted in red-on-white background, was the dragon of Helfax erstwhile. There were also a few items that seemed out of place with the surroundings. For one, there were several stone planters off to one side of the room. Tall plants grew in about half of them, while the others held sprouts just recently germinated. The plants had large, olive-colored leaves with fat red veins running through them. Stacked beside the planters were a number of small barrels, or perhaps they were casks. Baz was no cooper. The barrels were surrounded by a number of seemingly empty glass bottles. The whole place smelled like a dining hall the night after a large party. Several others were in the room and turned to look at Baz as he entered expressions ranging from curiosity to trepidation. Most were speakers, judging by the brands on their foreheads and dark robes. Two were from Friedlaw Library, a trio from Prashat, one from Osenkai, and, surprisingly, one from Xavier. Several wore leather pouches around their necks, similar to munches. Everyone, Oogs announced, this is Bastion, from Torchsire Library. Several pairs of eyebrows rose, 
and many of the assembled speakers' faces took on looks of interest similar to the one Munch had shown when Ogues had introduced Baz to Munch. How was it that all these strangers knew who he was? Anel, have you checked the tincture? Ogues asked. A woman, girl really, hopped off the suede chase upon which she'd been lounging and winked at Ogues. She was a few years younger than Baz, face splashed with freckles, reddish hair done up in twin braids that swung back and forth as she moved. Some female speakers were permitted to keep their hair so long as it didn't hide their brand. It was generally safe to assume that those with hair were favored by one or more of the readers in their library. That was why Delida still had her hair. Deliritus wouldn't want to sleep with a bald woman. Sure have, boss. Stinks to Xavier Tower, no offense, Lens. The man from Xavier Tower shrugged. Unlike the others, he had no brand on his forehead, and he was dressed in his house's colors rather than the black uniform all speakers donned. A short blade propped beside his seat suggested he was an illit guard. No worries. Most of the folks over there do smell rotten. Everyone in the room except Baz chuckled. Then Lenz looked away from Enel to Baz. You'll get nothing but thanks from me over what you did to Hellar, but I wouldn't wander too close to the tower any time soon if I were you. I hear the Duke is offering a hundred gilts to the man who brings him your head. I didn't do anything to Hellar, Baz said. Right, Lenz chuckled. I'm sure it was just that big brute who follows the young Torchsire around. Wish I'd been there to see the look on Hellar's face. A shame about Trunnel, though. A few murmurs of assent from the other speakers in the room. He was one of us. Lenz said. Hope you didn't make him suffer too bad. Baz clenched his jaw, trying to ignore the glare the girl Anel was aiming his way. I'd rather not talk about the trials, Baz said through clenched teeth. Spilled ink and shattered vials. Idle talk or no, if these folks were speaking so, surely others were too. All it'd take would be for a few choice words to reach Duke Octavinal's ears, and he'd interrogate Deliritus until the truth came out. I didn't kill anyone, and it was my reader who won the trials. Anel's glare turned to a scowl, but a few of the others nodded. He's a smart one, Lenz said, leaning back in his seat. Baz glowered at him. What do you mean by that? Lenz held up his hands in surprise. No offense, man. Just not sure I could keep from bragging just a little if I was in your position. But you're right to be cautious, of course. You'd probably be tortured for days before they finally executed you if the readers actually found out you were the one who completed the trials. I did not complete the trials. Lenz lifted a shoulder. Like I said, you're smart to say so. There's nothing smart about... All right, all right, Ogues said. We get it, Bastion. You're just a lowly speaker like the rest of us. Take it easy. Anel, 
How much stronger do you think the tincture would be if we wait any longer? Anel's face shifted from tight-lipped to mischievous as she looked away from Baz back to Ogs. I don't think it's getting any stronger than it already is. I tossed a mouse in earlier, and it was dead practically before it hit the surface. And Moogs took a whiff earlier, and he's still feeling woozy. Anel pointed at the Osenkai speaker. He was sitting on a bench with head tilted back, the collar of his tunic undone. He was sweating profusely, rivulets rolling down his shaved scalp. Hold on just a minute, Baz interjected. Ogs, would you mind filling me in a bit? What is this place, and what exactly are you doing? The general interest that most of the room had seemed to hold for Baz melted away. Even Lens sat up straight, eyes serious. Anel returned to scowling in Baz's direction. You brought him here without verifying he's one of us? What if he's a sympathizer, Ogs? I mean, he's probably being treated like a bloody conservator after helping his reader to all that glory the libraries are heaping on him. Baz glowered back at Nell. Now look here, missy. If you think my reader gives two shakes about what I did during the trials, maybe you've taken a whiff too many of whatever that concoction you've got brewing over there is. At best, I'm treated like a recently polished dinner plate. They parade me in front of guests when they want to make an impression, then back into the cupboard I go. Anel put her hands on her hips. You think you can just march in here and... Now, now, Bastion, Ogs interrupted. No need to act a... What did Munch say earlier? A page ripper? Baz turned his glower on Ogs. His subsequent shrug seemed apologetic, though his expression seemed to say, You sort of were acting like one. Baz's glower intensified. And you, Anel... Oaks turned to the girl. You've heard the talk of Bastion. He's about as far from a lick spittle as a speaker can be while still keeping his eyes. Anel scoffed and crossed her arms, but she didn't lob any further accusations at Baz. Perhaps I was a little too caught up in the moment, Oaks said. My apologies. We're not exactly certain what this place used to be, but each of these tunnels leads to the sub-basements of one of the nine libraries, save, of course, the one we entered through. That used to be Prashat Libraries, I think. You might recall it was destroyed in a fire several years back and moved to a location further from the factories. Seems this place had already been forgotten by then, and the tenements they built on the site of the old library hid the old entrance. You mean, all the libraries have access to this place? Baz asked. Ogs shrugged. We think so, though we haven't thoroughly explored all the tunnels. Only the ones leading to the libraries you see represented here. He motioned at the assembled speakers. I guess now we'll have to see if Torchsires is intact. We had to clear some rubble out of Xavier's tunnel, but other than that, the tunnels have been pretty well preserved so far. Well, that explained how all these speakers and the illit guard were managing to gather here without causing too much of a stir back at their respective libraries. 
As for what we're doing here, Oaks continued, well, you've any idea what sort of plant those are? Oaks inclined his head toward the planters across the room. Baz stared at them for several moments, feigning consideration, though he'd have a hard enough time telling an oak from a pine. He'd no clue what sort of plant a bunch of young speakers could be growing in the lost room in the loins of erstwhile. Treadleaf, he finally said. It was the most ridiculous thing Baz could think of, and he hoped the joke would cover his ignorance. Oaks gave him a wide grin, though not for the reason Baz expected. Very good. Seems you're actually as resourceful as the stories I've heard say you are. Baz laughed, shaking his head. But when Oaks' expression didn't change to indicate he was just participating in the joke, Baz narrowed his eyes. You mean it's actually Dreadleaf? He took an involuntary step further away from the plants, the deadliest poison in oration? Sure. William has a spoken book that grows it. Readers keep a pretty constant stock of it. You can use it to clean armor and silverware, so it sells decently well from what I understand. I, uh, borrowed a few plants for our own uses. It's pretty easy to propagate if you know what you're doing. And have a pair of gloves, Munch added with a laugh. Baz ignored him, staring at Oaks for several moments, uncertain of what to say. What are you planning to do with it? Isn't it obvious? Munch interjected. We're going to kill some readers. Anel groaned as if Munch had just given away the secret of elemental ink. Everyone else in the room looked at Baz expectantly, almost as if they were awaiting his approval. An uprising. He'd just walked into Erstwhile's version of what Farston had reported occurring in Fortune. Of course, the first place Baz's mind went wasn't to the fact of rebellion, but rather to the Liamina Duke's in-depth description of what had been done to the participating speakers. That sounds, um, dangerous, Baz finally said. Huh. Munch sounded like a child who just heard a joke he meant to run and go tell to his friends, says the speaker who tamed a dragon in the Firelands. What? Munch looked confused. That's what everyone says. You convinced a dragon to fly you around. That's how you got to Tome. Baz's mouth worked soundlessly. How could they possibly know that? As you can see, Bastion's just a bit modest, Oaks said to the other speakers, though was that sideways look that Oaks gave him one of confusion? My running into you couldn't have been better timed, Bastion, Oaks continued. We'd been hoping to add at least one other library to our little group of snakes. Plans simple enough. We've been steeping Dreadleaf in those casks for over a month now, took us several months before that to gather enough liquor to make the tincture. Now it's ready, and all that's left is to dump it into our respective library's water supplies. Baz's eyes widened. It was possible, he supposed. 
erstwhile's water supply came from a complex series of aqueducts that originated at springs up in the daggers each library had a small reservoir connected to the main municipal water system fed by the aqueducts baz gave a nervous laugh you think you'll just be able to dump that stuff into the water supply without anyone noticing this time oges didn't hide his confusion sure just think bastion unless you're being used for a speaking do most readers even acknowledge your existence that's our edge over them they think of us as property including our minds the readers think we lack the intellectual capacity to launch schemes of this scale but just look at what those warriors did in fortune they took over an entire library and that was with all the readers alive think what we could do if half of them were dead what could they do if half the readers were dead die half as fast was baz's first thought the plan was startlingly simple though oges was right of course most hours of the day deliritus neither knew nor cared where baz was so long as he came when summoned for a reading or errand his location was irrelevant to deliritus and sometimes baz wondered if the other readers in the library even knew who he was they almost certainly hadn't before they'd returned victorious from the trials just another of the house dogs you came up with this all on your own oak's cheeks reddened well no it was the all-seeing one's idea but we gathered all the supplies he quickly added the all-seeing one wow you really don't know anything about us do you anel said anel oaks snapped her eyes dropped to the floor oaks kept his eyes fixed on her for a moment before turning back to baz he comes to us on occasion first time he came munch and i were the only snakes back then we just came down here to get away then he showed up and began to tell us of what speakers and other parts of oration are doing to oppose the readers i first heard about the exterminating angel from him that's what they call the warrior's leader in fortune you must have heard of the revolt there yeah baz murmured i've heard about it once more he pictured farston's colorless eyes as he described the executions how do you know about them it's all the talk amongst the library guards lens said we've been warned to keep a close watch on the speakers break up any gatherings of more than two or three we see of course we weren't supposed to tell anyone but he smiled and lifted his shoulders you don't sound particularly excited bastion oges said annoyance showing through in his tone you'll have to excuse me for not jumping for joy over the prospect of mass murder baz said too late he realized that was rash he let the edge of irritation in oge's voice get to him gah i told you anel said you shouldn't have brought him here i knew all those stories were exaggerations no speaker can actually do the things it's said he did during the trials he's wrapped around his reader's finger hey baz leered at anel don't talk like you know me 
I hate readers as much as the rest of you. They took my brother from me, just as I'm sure they've taken people from most of you. Anel held his eyes for a moment, but her face had turned bright red, and a moment later she looked away. Yeah, my mother, she muttered. Our pa, Munch said, sounding mature for the first time. Several of the other assembled speakers mumbled names. Lenz sniffled, then glowered and turned away from the group, as if he could hide himself wiping at his eyes. Baz's scowl turned to a wince. They all laid on their hard pallets at night, just like him, staring at the ceiling and fantasizing of giving their readers what they deserved. An instant later, Baz felt his own face heating as he realized that he was almost certainly the only person in the room who had ever been in a position to actually do so to his reader, and he hadn't taken the chance. He'd had good reason to not let Galeritas die out there in the wilds. He had. Still, what they were proposing was entirely different than giving a few readers their just desserts. Yeah, we're all in the same woeful fraternity, Baz said. But it isn't just the readers who drink from the library reservoirs. So do their speakers, and their illit servants, and guards. Baz looked pointedly at Lenz, who was still dabbing at his eyes. And I'm not sure about you, but at Torchsire we've even got a conservator who's not half bad. You want all their deaths on your consciences? Anel continued to look at the floor. Ogs looked thoughtful. Munch, however, seemed angry. But the all-seeing one said we'd have to make sacrifices. Sure, some of us will die, but the readers will kill all of us eventually. Their deaths will be worth it. Wow, Baz hoped he never met this all-seeing one. Sounded like a real bastard. True, Ogs said. The all-seeing one did say that, but he also told us that Bastion would be worth listening to if we ever had the chance. He told you what? Oaks grinned. You have admirers in high places, Bastion. The all-seeing one gave us many of the tales we've heard of you. Baz really needed to stay away from this all-seeing one. So, if you're against our plan, what would you propose we do? What would I? For once, Baz let himself trail off before he said something stupid he couldn't take back. He was in a precarious position. Anel was glaring at him again, and Munch's eyes were still arrows, knocked and drawn back. Ogs remained calm enough, but Baz didn't need to look past his crooked nose to imagine what he'd do if he thought Baz was against them. Baz fingered the worm-tooth necklace beneath his tunic. If ever he needed it to bring luck, it was now. An envoy from Fortune arrived today, he said. Yeah, everyone knows that by now. So what? Anel said. You friends with the Duke from Liamina, too? I hear he's even worse than erstwhile's dukes. Keeps a part of his dungeons reserved just for inflicting pain on speakers for the fun of it. Baz tried to ignore her, though couldn't help but shudder as once more the image of those poor, rebellious speakers came to mind. He cleared his throat and went on. 
the Triumvirate Congress has called a special session to discuss the uprising in Fortune. Farston made it sound like no big deal, but if they weren't concerned, why would they be calling a meeting? Oaks tilted his head to one side. A mass gathering of readers? I think I like where you're going, Bastion. That makes one of us, Baz thought. Out loud, he said, As the current trial's champion, Torchsire Library is responsible for supplying erstwhile's representative at the Congress, and guess who's the lucky speaker who gets to accompany that representative? Og's eyebrows rose. You're going to fortune? Yes, Baz said, and that's not all. He needed to tread very carefully here, but if anyone deserved to know some of what he'd learned during his brief time in Tome, it was these people. When I was on the trials, I was separated from my reader for a time. I met some cityless. Wow, Munch said, sounding genuinely impressed. And you're still alive? Baz nodded. Better than alive. He let out a long breath, looking around at the other speakers in the room. It startled him to find that they all seemed to be listening intently, as if they really cared what he had to say. I swore an oath, so I can't say much, but I don't think they'd object to me saying this. They're on your side. Our side? Oges said. Yeah. They want to overthrow the readers, just like you do, and they told me there's a weapon hidden in fortune that can help them, us, now, do that. Until today, I doubted I'd ever actually get a chance to find it, but now I'm going to fortune. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I get that you want to do something, and maybe this... He motioned at the barrels of poison, seemed like the best option a few minutes ago, but at least wait and give me a chance to complete this search. Maybe you won't have to sacrifice so many. Oges studied Baz's face, scratching the stubble on his chin with the heel of his hand. You can't say what it is? Baz half opened his mouth, but shut it again. If he actually told them he was seeking the Declaimer's transcendence, they might think he was just making fun of them. And even if they did believe him, after all, Oges and Munch had greeted each other with the only known line of the transcendence, Baz wasn't certain he could speak of it with enough conviction to be convincing. He still very much doubted the thing even existed, but he had to do something to stop the mad plan the snakes were hatching. I can't, but it will change everything if I find it. I don't like it, Oaks, Enel said. We've been planning this a long time. I say we go through with it. You know the readers deserve it. I do know it, Oaks said softly. But I also know I've spent as many nights worrying over who else I might kill as anticipating the satisfaction from watching Duke William choke on his watered wine. He looked Baz square in the eyes. One month, Bastion. We'll delay that long. If you haven't returned by then with the object of power you promise, we'll move forward. Words can only take us so far. 
Death is far harder to ignore. Thank you. Baz hoped his smile looked genuine, because he certainly wasn't smiling on the inside. The prospect of traveling to fortune had already been a depressing one. Now this? A whole group of rebellious speakers awaiting his return? And if he failed to find the Declaimer's transcendence, he wouldn't just be facing the wrath of Tessa and her keepers, but a whole lot of people in erstwhile would die. Some of them would deserve it, but many would not. Bloody burning books! Hello everyone, welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is Sunday, August 28th, 2022, as I record this, which is episode 6 of season 2 of the book club and episode number 33 overall. Well, uh, let's see, we'll start with the personal update as we generally do. Uh, last week, I uh, admitted uh, that I had lied to all of you previously, <laughs> that I was done uh, doing edits on Declaimer's Stand, part four of the Spoken Books Uprising. Well, now I am really done. I finished my final read-through. Uh, like I said last week, just was really tightening up some la- some language, eliminating uh, you know extra words, really, and adding a couple more details here and there, but no substantive changes. Uh, so at this point, all I have left to do is uh, wait for my editor to get me her edits, and then uh, it's off to the presses. So start getting excited for release day, which is September 16th. Uh, that's September 16th, 2022, for those of you listening in the future. Um, as for my upcoming plans, um, just looking forward here to the last quarter of the year. I don't think I'm going to have another book release this year. Uh, I think I'm going to have one written before year's end, but I'm just not going to be able to line up my editor in time for that, uh, which is okay. That gives me a little a little more time, uh, and it also means that uh, I'll probably be able to release two books relatively quickly at the beginning of 2023, as I'll just jump right into drafting part six of the Spoken Books Uprising once I've completed part five, and I'm waiting for editing. Part five is actually, uh, it's a bit of a smaller story too, so uh, it should be relatively quick to write. It's a bit of a side quest, <laughs> uh, if you will, for, for you gamers out there, uh, but it, uh, it's one with big implications for the overall story, so definitely uh, definitely not extraneous. So stay tuned for more. Uh, once Declaimer's stand is out, obviously I'll be talking a, bit, a little bit more about Part 5 here. Uh, let's see. I guess, I guess I'll mention, too, if, if you're absolutely craving some new fiction from, from me once you've ravenously devoured Part 4, uh, Declaimer's stand in a couple of weeks, uh, consider signing up for my Patreon. Uh, I've decided I'm going to be releasing a connected series of short stories over there starting in a couple weeks, uh, which again, for for you time travelers out there, is September of 2022. Um, It's pretty different from the Spoken Books Uprising, probably leaning more towards science fiction than fantasy. Well, it's definitely leaning more towards science fiction than fantasy. It is called the 
Temporal Operations Militia Case Files, or TOM for short, T-O-M. Uh, and it's about two agents from an organization that goes around fixing anomalies in time to ensure history happens uh, as it should. So it's got time travel, history, laser swords, and uh, more history. I wrote history here in my notes twice. Uh, but it'll be cool because it'll have history that you're familiar with. So, you know, real life past events and, you know, our characters will also travel into the future into into new worlds. So I'll be able to both do some historical research and have some uh, realistic settings and also some future type settings. Uh, there are also uh, the villains are these weird martial artists in red spacesuits, as I've mentioned a couple times in previous weeks here, too. Um, so that'll be available to all levels of my Patreon supporters. So uh, you can get in for just three ninety nine a month, and you'll get access to all these stories as I release them and lots more, uh, including copies of all of my ebooks. So basically, you'll get a subscription. So you get a copy of a book whenever I release one, uh, and you'll also get a bonus monthly podcast episode. So if you're a regular listener here of the book club and want more, consider signing up. Um, among other things on those extra episodes, uh, I'm pretty sure I'll be narrating those uh, short stories. So more audio fiction for your enjoyment. So uh, head on over to patreon.com slash dtkane and join me today if that sounds interesting to you. All right, um, enough about me. Let's hop into our analysis here of chapters 5 through seven. So again, talking about a few weeks worth of reading assignments here. Um, and let me know how you're liking this slightly new format where I kind of batch the analysis sections every few weeks instead of doing it every single week. Um, not sure I'll change it, even if some people say they don't like it, because it is a little easier for me. But uh, but let me know. Uh, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. If, uh, if I get a hundred emails saying they hate this new format, then I guess I'll consider... Uh, going back, but I'd uh, love to hear your feedback on that or anything else. DTKane at DTKane.com if you want to send me an email. Um, so just a quick refresher. Um, we're going to start back here at Chapter 5. So when we uh, at the end of Chapter 4, we had Baz kind of storming off, being uh, upset with Deliritus and, uh, you know, ruining the fact that he is once more being thrust into an adventure, or at least a, uh, a trip that he doesn't want to go on. He'll be escorting uh, Deliritus to Fortune for this meeting of the Triumvirate Congress. Uh, but currently, Baz is headed to the market to pick up some supplies for Deliritus. Um, you know, in, in typical Baz fashion here, he's pretty down here. We see he's not very confident in his, uh, <laughs> his chances of completing this quest for Tessa, right? Remember, Tessa is the leader of the Keepers uh, in Undertome, who we met back in Book 1, and Baz promised her to look for the Declaimer's Transcendence, which is the copy of this prophecy that's allegedly in Fortune. Um, you know, he he explains here to us that he doesn't even believe that it exists, um, which I guess probably isn't uh, too much of a surprise here. I think he told us that at the end of Book 1. Um, you know, but even if it did exist, how the heck is he going to get into uh, Liamina Library? So that's, um, if you haven't made that connection already, so this Duke Farston is from Duke, or this Duke Farston is from uh, Liamina 
library. That's his library. So Bez is going to have to break into his library um, in order to uh, to find this prophecy. Uh, so, you know, Baz is uh, mulling that over as he walks to the market, uh, and he's kind of pulled out of his ruminations here by a disturbance uh, in the street. Uh, you know, and Baz... Uh, Baz is like a magnet for trouble, right? You know, he, he knows he sh- he knows he knows he should just go on his way, but uh, he he's got he's curious. He's got to see what's happening, so it's uh, kind of got a reader here abusing a speaker <coughs> uh, in the street. And who does this reader turn out to be? Well, it's Lighten Xavier, who is the younger brother of Hellar. You'll recall that Hellar was one of the competitors in the Actus Trials in Part One, uh, and. Uh, we all know that he has since passed away, so he, uh, so he, uh, being Light and Xavier, he is now the heir to Xavier Library. Recall that's still the most powerful library in erstwhile, and he's a he's a little prick, isn't he? <laughs> Younger than Hellar, and certainly not. Remember, Hellar was kind of a bit of an you know an emotionless automaton. Uh, Lighten certainly is not. Um, you know, I think Baz. You know, Bass says his uh, his expression certainly shows how he feels, unlike Hellar, and you know he's uh, he's arrogant and uh, arrogant and upset. You know, apparently uh, this speaker he is beating up, uh, you know, didn't bow to him or something when he passed him in the street. So he's you know he's knocked him over and he's he's kicking him while he's down. Um, you know, and again, uh, you know, Baz is already in a bad mood, and it's kind of like something just snaps here, and he shouts out for for Lighten to to leave leave this speaker alone. Uh, and uh, a bit of a, I think it's a bit of a comical line here. You know, it's like, you know, someone shouted out "stop," and Baz looked around, wondering who would be stupid enough to insert himself into a uh, into this fight here. <clears throat> um, <laughs> And then he realizes everyone's looking at him, and it's like, oh, I'm the one who shouted out. Why can't I? Why can't I just keep my nose out of stuff that's going to get me in trouble? Um, but interesting, right? Obviously, Lighten is incensed, and uh, you know he's got his harbor there too, and he's about to order the harbor to go beat Baz up, or you know maybe kill Baz, because we learned that uh, there's kind of a bounty out on uh, on the torch sires here from Xavier, because they all think the Lyritus killed Hellar. Little do they know that. Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't Baz had nothing to do in the end with Hellar's death, right? You know, uh, you'll recall that uh, uh, Marla, Marla Colnar, ended up uh, slitting Hellar's throat there in book uh, one. But regardless, uh, there's still a, there's kind of a bounty out here. But uh, the crowd is actually on the speaker's side, or so it seems, because the uh, the other speaker sounds stands up. He is from uh, William Library. Um, you remember there are nine libraries in erstwhile, so this is one we haven't really had any experience with yet. But William Library, um, you know, and he kind of he's like, you know, you, you may want to think about that a little more, light and you know, look around here, and you can see the the crowd is, uh, you know, their anger is definitely being directed toward him and kind of the injustice he uh, is uh, committing upon the William speaker here. So Lighten seems to think better of, uh, you know, starting a riot that's going to be everyone attacking him in his harbor. So he storms off. Um, So that's interesting. So, uh, and I think back in uh, book one, Baz kind of made it sound like everyone, 
everyone just kind of accepts society for the way it is and the way it's structured. But but maybe not. Kind of this uh, pent up outrage it seems with the crowd and how uh, this uh, lofty reader was uh, was treating this speaker for you know simply not you know nodding his head the the right way as they passed in the street. Um, so uh, it turns out. Uh, so well. After Lighten and his harbor depart, uh, the speaker comes over and introduces himself to Baz. Uh, the speaker, who is getting beat up, his name is Oaks. Um, and I guess a, a little historical side note here: uh, Oaks is a kind of an kind of an odd name, right? But I, I named him after a real person. Uh, you'll recall a few episodes back, I kind of gave you a quick overview of how some of the events of the Spoken Books Uprising are loosely based off the Haitian slave revolution that took place at the end of the end of the 18th century. So the 1790s or thereabouts, <clears throat> and the beginning of the 19th century, I should say, right around the turn of the century there between the 18th and the 19th, obviously very loosely based, <laughs> you know, not going for historical accuracy here in this fantasy novel, but uh, definitely drew lots of inspiration. Uh, from the revolution. So Oges is named after uh, a real person. His name was Vincent Oge, uh, born in 1755 in Haiti, which uh, was called Saint-Domingue back then. Um, he was a, a, a mixed race. He was a white white father and a black mother, and he was a, a, a free a free black in, in Haiti. Actually, was educated in France for a while, but he was an advocate for uh, for equality in the colonies, actually went to France at one point and uh, kind of lobbied for a bill that would give uh, slaves, uh, if not equal rights, at least uh, you know more justice, uh, you know representation for at least free blacks and government. I guess I shouldn't say slaves. I don't think he was an abolitionist per se, but at least for and this is maybe getting a little too into the weeds here historically. But there were there were a lot of. Uh, uh, free blacks in Haiti in addition to the slaves there but you know even the free blacks weren't necessarily treated equally but he was demanding representation for free blacks in the French government uh, you know the possibility of them being uh, members of the justice system in the military uh, a right to education and uh, you know generally equal treatment at least for the free blacks with with white people um, I think my understanding is his petitions didn't really get anywhere with the French National Assembly uh, at the time. I think this is 1789, though he did get another measure passed where at least um, allegedly the colonies were supposed to be able to create their own assemblies, which would allow all free people, including blacks, to be part of them. But um, even though that was passed, it was never really enforced, at least not in Haiti. Um, so he kind of, uh, you know, he was writing letters to the government in Haiti. Uh, La Cap was the capital of Haiti back then. Um, you know, wasn't really getting anywhere. And in fact, he kind of got like this cease and desist letter <laughs> uh, from the from the governor, basically telling him, you know, stop stirring up trouble or uh, we are going to come after you. Um and he ended up having to flee to the Spanish side uh, of the island. Remember, uh, Haiti is connected to um, the Dominican Republic. It's an island that's split in two. So he fled to the Spanish side of the island, but was eventually caught and brought back to La Cap, and he was uh, p 
publicly executed in February of 1791, which uh, was one of the instigating events for the, uh, the slave revolution that started later that year in August 1791. Uh, he was uh, executed by the wheel, which you've probably heard mentioned several times already uh, in the book here, if you've been reading along, kind of a brutal torture method that I hadn't really been familiar with until I started reading about the Haitian slave revolution. I mean, basically, it's like a, you know, picture a big, heavy wagon wheel, and, um, you know, either they would just, like, tie someone down to the ground and drop it on their limbs and break all their bones before they killed them, or sometimes in other cultures, they would tie them up on a big wheel and then, like, use a hammer to break their limbs and then just hang the wheel up on a post and let the person kind of uh, suffer up there until they until they died. So um, maybe a little more gruesome detail than, than you wanted there. So, so we will, uh, we'll move on, but that's, uh, that's the inspiration there for, for the, uh, for the wheel. If you've heard me reference the wheel in the book and you haven't really understood what that was, there you go. Uh, so Oaks, um, getting back to the actual character here in the book, Oaks introduces himself to Baz and, uh, you know, Baz is kind of hesitant to, to, uh, you know, uh, fraternize with this guy, right? Because he actually, he's a, he's a, he looks like a bit of a street tough, right? He's got a, you know, this big crooked nose that's always been broken a lot, and he's got scarring on his ears like a boxer, you know, the cauliflower ear that boxers have. Um, yeah, but Oaks is like, uh, kind of like leans over conspiratorially to Baz and like, you want to cause some trouble for the readers? Uh, and then that's how chapter five ends, and we jump right into chapter six. And uh, Baz is like, you know, any other day, he probably would have just said thanks, but no thanks. But remember, he is pissed at the Lyritus and kind of just life in general here for throwing him back into the fire with this upcoming trip to Fortune. So he's like, sure, you know, causing some trouble for the Lyritus, that sounds great. So he uh, goes off with Oaks here. <clears throat> they head down to, uh, you know, the poorer parts of Lower erstwhile, uh, you know, kind of the destitute parts of the city. Uh, and what's down here? Well, there are factories uh, down here where uh, ink is made. Uh, recall, all of the spoken books are made with special elemental inks. That's kind of how they're powered. That's the fuel that uh, the fuel for the spells in them. And recall, the ink kind of fades over time as you cast the spells. And then that's what the conservators do they hold the secret to creating the ink um and they will kind of like you know re retrace all of the writing in the books to to give them more power with elemental ink so we pass by a couple of these factories we learn the the process is very dangerous and uh you know they're in the poorer parts of the city uh so that the conservators can recruit you know people who don't have any other options to go work in the factories, uh, you know, Baz notes about, you know, people routinely having their limbs crushed in mills or, you know, being hit by boiling ether. You know, lots of, it sounds like there's lots of deformed people living on the streets here in Lower Erstwhile as a result of injuries in the factories. Um, and this is more, more inspiration from the slave revolution here. These are kind of injuries that slaves would also suffer um, in the act of... Uh, farming sugarcane uh, in in Haiti. That was one of the big crops there. And, you know, to get 
you know, to, to refine sugarcane into, you know, like the table, the white table sugar that we know. It has to go through a milling process. Uh, so slaves getting their limbs uh, stuck in, in, you know, grinding grinding mills and having, you know, arms or I guess it was generally arms, uh, you know, severed or crushed was a common injury there, especially, you know, the slaves are obviously working very long hours. So you stop paying attention for a second, you can get your get your hands stuck in one of those things. And uh, you had to boil uh, the sugar cane as well to get the sugar out of it. Sorry, I don't know the whole exact detail, but there's definitely boiling involved. So getting uh, boiling boiling liquid splashed on you is another common common thing that happened uh, there. So just more more inspiration there. Look behind the scenes. Um, you know, and Oaks kind of makes fun of Bass for <clears throat> for being afraid of the uh, of the factories and. You know, rather than uh, deny being afraid, you know, I, I like this quote here from, from Baz. You know, fear is a great indicator you're walking into something you'll regret, and I have more than enough regrets already. <laughs> uh, I don't think we're going to have a, a philosophy hour right now. My uh, my cardigan's being dry cleaned right now, and it's too hot to uh, put it on. Um, anyway, but uh, interesting, interesting point here. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree agree with Baz. I think sometimes, you know, if you're afraid of something, that's a, it's a good indicator to maybe take a step back and, well, why are you afraid of that, and what does that say about you? Um, all right, we're not going to go down any self-help roads here today, but I just like that quote and thought I'd pull it out there. Um, so they, they head on from the factories <clears throat> after that. And Oogs leads Bass to, like, this underground hideout, right? They kind of, like, slip down this narrow alley between two buildings. You know, Bass says, well, it's probably not even wide enough. You know, rocks wouldn't even be able to fit through here, which, come to think of it, is probably probably why they're going here. Because wherever Oogs is leading Bass, it's probably not somewhere they want to harbor going. Um, so they, you know, they get into this kind of, like, tiny little courtyard, and there's a opening in the ground with stairs leading down. And they come to a door down there. Um, and apparently the person on the other side is Og's little brother. His name is Munch. Um, you know, I think you'll notice, too, some of the speakers don't have very flattering names, right? You know, Munch, but I think that's because, uh, you know, when they're named at all, the readers don't exactly, they're not looking to, to give flattering names to their slaves. So if you've ever been wondering about some of the naming conventions there, honestly, sometimes with, I've talked about naming on the podcast, in the past, but with some of the speakers in particular, I kind of intentionally, the first thing that comes to mind, I'll just put that down. Um, You know, and one of the reasons for that is, you know, one I've talked about, I don't like struggling over names (laughs) too much. Uh, But two, especially with the speakers, I think that adds a little bit of realism here. You know, the the readers aren't going to be agonizing over the names they're giving their slaves, so I don't, uh, I don't either, so little explanation there for why some of the some of our speakers have kind of uh, odd unflattering names um but so there's a password to get in right and obviously munch is uh <laughs> munch is not a he would not be a a cybersecurity specialist in in our world right you know it's like you know, he's like, uh, Oaks, is that you? And Oaks said, yes. Okay, come on in. You know, <laughs> uh, you know Oaks like, slams the door back shut. And, you know, you got to do the password. And, well, what's the password? Where, well, it's uh, it's the declaimer's transcendence, right? You know, that the one line from the prophecy that they still have, you know, uh, 
he'll speak the words uh, to set us free. <coughs> um, so, you know, Baz is like, you know, this kind of starts alarm bells off in Baz's head, right? <laughs> um, because it's like, oh, the declaimer's transcendence. Am I walking into something just like I walked into Undertome with? Uh, so, and, you know, we'll, we'll clearly see that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what Baz is walking into here, right? Um, what else do we learn here? Um, so this little group here that Oogs and Muncher are part of are called the Snakes, right? They, you know, they slither about and make people ill, uh, just like uh, their little organization stays low. But when you aren't looking, they'll bite you in the, you know, Munch has a, Munch is about to give a crude, crude joke here. But uh, anyway, obviously they're an underground organization here. And uh, so they seem to think that Snakes is a good, a uh, good code name for that. Um, closing off here, getting to the end of chapter six. You know, Baz. Baz is a little famous here. Uh, you know, because uh, Ogs introduces Baz to Munch, his little brother, and he's like the Bastion. You know, like uh, you know, he's like m- meeting a celebrity here. You know, and Munch is like, oh, you you stand up to readers to their faces. You know, everyone knows who you are. And Baz is like, how do these people know who I am? He's getting a little anxious about it. Um, I think then Munch even goes on, well, you know, your reader wouldn't have even won or even made it back without you. Uh, (laughs) uh, And the kind of Baz kind of loses it here, kind of pushes Munch up against the wall. And then Munch is just a little kid here, right? Um, well, not, I think Baz says he couldn't be more than 15, and you know, maybe he's even younger than that, judging by the way he acts and talks. Um, kind of like slams him up against the wall. Where did you hear that? And he's like, well, it's just rumors. You know, rumors always go around about the, about the winning speaker. Kind of this little cult of personality springs up around them. Baz kind of realizes he's pushing his luck with Ogs, right? Kind of assaulting his little brother. Ogs is like reaching under his cloak. You know, what does he have, a knife under there or something? Who knows? We don't find out. But Baz kind of uh, lays off <clears throat> and uh, realizes he's in, he's in a precarious position here, right? You know, um, you know, if he doesn't like what's going on down here, um, these people are going to notice. And Oogs is obviously a fighter, so Baz is like, you know, he's kind of trapped down here now, uh, and it only gets worse, right? Because Oogs is like, well, okay, you know, I think I think it's ready, Munch, and Munch gets all excited and runs down off down the hall and. Baz is like, well, what's ready? And Oogs is like, the poison. Oh, boy, the poison, what's that? Um, <clears throat> so that leads right into Chapter 7 here. And let me just get a drink here from my ridiculously large mug. Mm. This is, uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, this is a beer sign uh, I got when living in Ohio that I never used because... I'm never going to drink a whole liter of beer in one sitting. But I've recently started using it for water. <clears throat> so, there you go. All right, totally irrelevant. Chapter 7. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Baz follows Oogs down this long, dark hallway. And it comes out into this rather nice meeting hall. Uh, you know, it's a circular room, nice furniture, this big mahogany table in the center. Uh, off to one side, there's a bunch of plants and barrels and vials. What's going on over there? Um, and there's also others down here, uh, mostly speakers from other libraries, but also an illit guard. Uh, some of them had leather pouches around their necks, 
actually inc incidentally munch had this leather pouch around his neck too so this seems like they've got some uh some token that they all they all wear to show their membership uh and they've all heard of baz right so again you know baz has this little following apparently amongst the uh the speakers of erstwhile there's been rumors going around about him since he came back from the Exus trials it would seem like the rumor about how he tamed a dragon to get to tome uh you know and they're you know, even Baz is, even though Baz is furiously <laughs> denying it, there's this impression that he's the one who completed the trials, which is dangerous, right? If that gets to the ears of uh, Deliritus or, or, heaven forbid, his father, uh, this the jig's going to be up, right? So, uh, you know, who is telling them all this? How are these rumors spreading? Because you can be certain that Baz isn't spreading it around, right? <laughs> um. <clears throat> so hold that thought for a second. We will learn a little more detail about that. But uh, kind of dangerous implications here uh, for Baz. Uh, you know, he just wants to keep his head down. Um, he's th he's not looking to be famous. Fame uh, equals death for Baz, really. Um, but we also learn so there's like an underground tunnel network connecting all the libraries that this the readers you know a little ambiguous but it seems like they the readers probably don't really know about them and you know they say they had to like clear rubble out from some of the tunnels so um it seems like this network fell into disuse and now these speakers have found it and they're using it for their secret uh meeting place um so Ogs introduces baz to the group like i said they're like oh bastion you know that you're the famous one who just came back from the trials and then Baz's like, you know, you guys, we need to back up here. <laughs> what is going on here? Um, you know, Oak's like, well, what do you know what that plant is over there? And, of course, Baz, Baz gives this random guess about what those plants are over there. He just thinks of something ridiculous. Dreadleaf. Um, he's like, well, that was like the worst thing that I could think of. So I just said it as a joke. Um, at least he thinks that. But then Oak's like, oh, <laughs> you are resourceful. It is Dreadleaf. And then Baz's like, it it is the, the most poisonous thing in all of oration <laughs> you're growing it down here uh, and then it dawns on him he has walked into an uprising uh just like the one in fortune that happened remember in the prologue we saw that uprising occur and then uh duke farston a few chapters back explained how that was put down and the speakers who led the uprising brutally tortured and killed um i love the line here Oak's like, well, just think what we can achieve if half the readers are dead. Because he's like, well, look, they took over a library and they had all the readers still to deal with. So think what happens. We, we're going to dump this Dreadleaf concoction we've made into the water supply and kill a bunch of readers, and then we're going to take over the city. And Bass is just like, what can we achieve if half the readers are dead? Well, we'll just die half as slowly. <laughs> you know, half as slowly. <laughs> um <clears throat> You know, Baz obviously not quite on the same page as as these other folks. They're all really excited about about executing this plan here. Um, you know, and in, interesting too, right? Because remember, Farston was really nonchalant about uh, the uprising in Fortune. He's like, ah, you know, it happened at this kind of questionable library to begin with, and then the conservator militia came in and we killed all of them, and it was good. But we learned that. Uh, remember, we have this uh, lens. He's the guard. Uh, as everyone else down here is a, a speaker, but he's a guard, apparently part of this rebellion. That's brewing here. And he's like, well, 
when word of the uh, uprising and fortune came, uh, all the guard, all the guards, and all the libraries were instructed to break up meetings of speakers. Right, so it seems that the readers are uh, on edge about this news from fortune, even if they are not admitting it publicly. Um, we also get this quick little note: uh, the leader of the rebels in fortune is uh, called the exterminating angel. Uh, don't get much more detail at this point, but uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a mythos already springing up around whoever this leader is here. Um, and this is uh, another little inspiration from uh, from my research into Haiti. Uh, what was this author's name? Hold on, let me just pull up my Haiti notes here really quick. Uh, Louis Sebastian Mercier. Uh, I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, he was a French dramatist. Uh, in 1771, he wrote a, a time travel story, actually, where the main character uh, leapt way into the future um, and went to Haiti, and they had this statue of this man who apparently abolished slavery and created uh, equality for everyone. Um and in that story, he was called the exterminating angel, granted power by justice and by God. Um, so that's where I got the name exterminating angel from. Just a quick little side note. I looked for that story, but I think it's only written in French. So uh, if anyone knows of a translation of it, uh, <laughs> shoot me an email. Uh, but there you go, the exterminating angel. Um, so, right, so like I said, the plan here is to poison the water supply. Uh, erstwhile apparently has a connected municipal water system um, from aqueducts that go up to the mountains that are above uh, erstwhile. Remember, the daggers are the mountains, um, and erstwhile sits in their shadow, so apparently there are springs up there, and aqueducts carry the water down to the city, so if they... Uh, poison the uh you know the main kind of aquifer that goes to all the uh, other libraries uh it's uh it's possible to just dump the poison in one place and poison all of the libraries so uh interesting this is you know once again more haitian inspiration this was actually this was never carried out but this was a plan the slaves in haiti had to poison the water in le cap which was again the capital of haiti back uh in the 18th and 19th century and that city had a similar municipal water system that would have allowed uh, allowed for poisoning in this matter <clears throat> um, you know and again like I said all of the, all of these uh, all of the speakers here are pretty excited about this plan and Baz uh, Baz is not right he's a little uh, taken aback by all of it um, <clears throat> and uh, you know it comes out that uh, this wasn't their plan originally, the snake's plan originally. They apparently have a leader, too, who is not present. Og seems to be the leader of everyone, uh, or he's the ringleader of all the folks present, but there's apparently this all-seeing one who comes out occasionally and is directing them, and he's the one who came up with the idea for poisoning uh, the water supply. Um, <clears throat> you know, and Baz is like, oh, he sounds like a real bastard. Because Baz is like, well you're going to kill a lot of innocent people with this. It's not just the readers who drink the water. And I think Munch chimes in. He's like, well, the, you know, the, the all-seeing one told us that we, you know, we're going to have to make sacrifices. And I was like, oh, geez, that's a whole lot of sacrifices. 
Um, and then, you know, you can see the people, they're a little, they're t they turn against him just a little here, all the other snakes. You know, Ove is like, Baz, you don't sound very excited about this. And Baz's like, well, excuse me for not being excited about mass murder. <laughs> and you know, as soon as Baz says it, he's like, oh, crap. I just showed them I'm not on the same side as them. Um, you know, but Baz kind of quickly saves the situation. Um, Baz is nothing if uh, quick on his feet, right? Not quick on his feet. Baz is nothing if not quick on his feet. Uh, I think that's the right phrase. You get what I mean. He He's a quick thinker. Uh, usually because he says something he shouldn't, then has to quickly work his way out of it. Uh, you know, it'll be, you know, they kind of turn accusing stairs and it's like, you know, you don't know me. You know, they took my brother away from me and I'm sure they took, you know, your loved ones away from you too. And, you know, everyone kind of is like, I think the girl, Anel, who has been accusing Baz of uh, not, uh, you know, of being a sympathizer, you know, really just being, you know, wound around Deliratus's figure. She's like, yeah, they killed uh, uh, my mother, you know, and uh, apparently Munch and Oves lost their father to the readers. <clears throat> you know, everyone has their sad story. And, you know, Baz quickly realizes, well, geez, we're all really the same. We sleep on our hard pallets in the basement at night fantasizing about readers getting what they deserve. And Baz actually starts to feel a little guilty because he realizes he's probably the only person there who has had an opportunity to actually give his reader what he deserves, and Baz didn't do it back in book one. Remember, he basically saved Deliritus in book one instead of letting him die. <clears throat> um, you know, but you know, but still, even with this, uh, they seem ready to go, uh, go on with their plans here, despite the guilt trip Baz kind of lays on them. Um, you know, but it turns out, you know, Ogs kind of like drops his mini little bomb here, right? You know, the all the all seeing one. You know, he did say we'd have to make sacrifices, but he also said if we ever had an opportunity to speak to Bastion, that we should listen to him too. Um, and apparently, it turns out this all seeing one is the person who's been spreading these. Well, I'm going to say rumors in quotation marks here, even though they're accurate rumors, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, these rumors about Baz, uh, you know, so who is this guy? Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, hold that thought. Um, well, hold that thought for a couple of weeks. We will discover who the all-seeing one is relatively soon, but for now we don't know who he is, uh, or even if it's a he for that matter. Um, but so that's why Oaks is like, well, Baz, what would you do instead of this uh, idea about poisoning the water? Um, so Baz reveals that he's going to be going to Fortune, um, escorting Deliritus, and that he met some cityless uh, when he was at the Axis Trials. And it turns out the cityless are actually friends with uh, with the speakers in the rebellion. They they want to overthrow the readers too, um, you know. And Baz doesn't tell them he's looking for the Declaimers' transcendence. He kind of he's like either they're going to think I'm just making fun of them, uh, and then I'm going to be really in trouble, or you know, maybe they do believe in the declaimer's transcendence, but I'm not sure if uh, I believe in it enough to say it with a straight face. <laughs> so instead, he just tells them, well, the city list told me there's a weapon in Fortune, and I promised to go look for it if I ever had the chance. So just hold off on poisoning the water supply. Let me see if I can find this weapon and bring it back. Um, and then maybe you won't have to make as many sacrifices as poisoning the water would require you to. So, you know, uh, some of the snakes are against this plan, but Ogus is like, okay, I'll, you get a month, Baz. If you're not back in a month, then we're going to move forward with our plan to poison the water. <clears throat> so now, <laughs> you know, Baz, Baz uh, 
this is kind of the uh, the plot point one, right? Baz has kind of committed himself now to going to Fortune because if he doesn't go, he's going to be uh, responsible for all these people who are going to die if the water is poisoned. So he's got to go to Fortune now and find the Declaimer's Transcendence. And that is uh, that brings us up to date um, through Chapter 7. So uh, next week... Um, no analysis next week. We're going to read chapters eight and nine of Declaimer's Discovery. Um, you know, Baz joins a club next week. Uh, and then he meets the all-seeing one. There you go. I told you we would figure out who he is. Uh, you know, is there some irony in the all-seeing one's title, by the way? Uh, <laughs> you know, keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then Baz hears something that causes him to break into a run. What could that be? So, uh, again, we'll read Declaimer's Discovery chapters 8 and 9 next week on the podcast. Um, And that's all I've got, so we'll just end here with our quote of the week. This one comes from uh, Ray Bradbury um, from his novel. I think it's a novel, um, or maybe if it's a novella. I don't know how long it is. Actually, I haven't read it. I've seen the movie, but I have not read it. But Something Wicked This Way Comes. Uh, And the quote is, Too late. I found you can't wait to become perfect. You got to go out and fall down and get up with everybody else. Right, and as always, I wrote my little little essay inspired by that quote. Um, It goes something like this. Patience is a virtue, or so they say. But is it? Perhaps not when it comes to achieving your dreams. How often have you heard someone say, I wish I could do this, but the time just isn't right. Or, I'll get around to that, someday. Or, maybe the saddest of all, I wish I'd just tried. Taking a shot is scary. It makes you vulnerable, risks failure, forces you to face reality. In a world where most have settled for good enough, going for what you really want makes you an outlier, a weirdo, a boat rocker. But don't let those naysayers stop you. Contrary to popular wisdom, the time will never be perfect for you to take a chance, so you might as well well take one now. Don't be that person who looks back one day with wistful eyes and says, I wish... All right, uh, and if you have a favorite quote from a fantasy tale, uh, send it over to me, dtkane at dtkane.com, uh, and uh, I may just feature it on a future podcast and in my newsletter, where I also include my quote of the week each uh, and every week. In fact, last week's quote was from uh, from a reader of the newsletter, so... It can happen to you, too. Send me in your favorite quotes, ddkane at ddkane.com. All right, that's all I've got this week, everyone. So until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, 
visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author, or send DT Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.